Bonjour, bonjour. Welcome to another episode of Everyone Hates Marketers.com, the digital marketing podcast for tech marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. So if you ever try to, to launch your own startup or create your first startup, there's something that we all tend to do as founders or, or people who try to be founders in the past is we tend to skip the marketing foundations and go straight away into trying to market our startup. And usually that fails. And there are plenty of reasons why that fail. And this is something to really avoid. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the key marketing, pre-marketing initiatives you need to do before starting marketing. And the person I'm interviewing today to go through this particular topic is probably one of the most well-known person in SaaS in the software as a service industry. She's a consultant and customer success evangelist. She wrote pieces and articles for HubSpot, for The Next Web, for Forbes, Moz, Product Hunt, Mattermark, Conversion Excel, Copy Hackers, Canva, and many more. She's also used to be moderators of a lot of different communities. And her name is Nicole Elizabeth Demeray. Um, you can check her website, NicoleElizabethDemeray.com. Um, she's also part of the Shine crew with Jonah Weeb from Copy Hackers, with Claire Sullentrop, uh, whom I interviewed around jobs we done recently, with Talia Wolf, uh, whom I also interviewed regarding emotional targeting. So in this episode, we're going to go through four things that you need to do before you start marketing your startup uh, or your new business. And those four things are very critical for the success of your business. They can make or break your business. This is also very helpful for, for people who have an established business and might need to refresh their marketing. So it's not only for, for early stage startups. So as usual, have a listen and let me know what you think. Nicole, what a, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I've been reading a lot of your articles in the last few years at this stage, and it, I've, it feels like I know you and you don't know me, and it always feels creepy. But today, we are going to talk about something that is quite close to my heart because I tried to launch a SaaS business in the past that I failed uh, miserably. So there is, there is something about founders trying to launch SaaS businesses some of them seems to have a huge bias against marketing, right? About marketing. It seems like marketing is what you do when your product is shit, basically. But you argue the, the contrary. So you think that most founders seem to want to skip all of the pre-marketing initiatives, which is not great. They need to have this foundation. So can you tell me a little bit more about this, these marketing foundations and why they are so important? Right. So what we're talking about here are early stage SaaS startups. Um, usually what happens is they want to uh, skip talking to their customers and really understanding who their ideal customer is. And instead they want to um, go straight into, you know, I've, I've been reading about growth hacking. You know, how do I get that started? Um, without any real foundation of um, who they're trying to talk to, what kind of language that they're trying to use to talk to um, that person, um, how to get in front of them, how to make them successful with their product. And so what happens is they go for these growth hacking tactics without having that foundation. And 
either they aren't acquiring at the rate that they wanted or they do acquire, but they aren't retaining. And why do you think this is happening? Why do you think those founders avoid talking to customers in the first place? I think one reason is because it's time consuming. They, you know, a founder already has so many things to do. And I think they find difficulty with scaling talking to customers because ideally you want to talk to them in person. And if you can't do that on the phone, and then if you can't do that, you want to record their user sessions and so on and so on. And a lot of times they will just send out simple surveys with maybe leading questions and ask questions such as what features should we build out, which are questions you shouldn't ask, and think that they've done the work um, when they really haven't. Do you think there is, I'm going to ask a very leading question, which is the worst type of question <laughs> you should ask, okay? Do you think there is the reason why they, they don't want to really talk to customers even face-to-face -face, or they feel they don't have the time is because they feel that they, those customers don't really know what they want anyway and that they shouldn't listen to them? Some people might think that and other people might think that they, you know, they already talked to friends and family and that's sufficient when really that isn't who you need to be talking to. Why not? Because those aren't your desired, you know, those aren't your, your ideal customers who, who are going to reach their desired outcomes with your product. And from, from your experience, if a founder, uh, a SaaS company, early stage SaaS company doesn't apply and work on those foundations, what happens usually? Like from your experience, just purely qualitative experience, what usually happens after? So what happens is they seek out a consultant like me and they, you know, they, they tell me, well, we're not acquiring at the rate we wanted to, or we are, but we, we aren't retaining. And we think it has to do with maybe customers aren't understanding what our product actually does. And maybe it's the language on our site. And when they come to that kind of realization, they are absolutely correct. There is so much work that needs to be done uh, around the language that goes onto your site. And It needs to be a continuous process as well. It's not that you just figure it out one day and you're done. Your SaaS startup changes over time as it grows. So you need to keep updating that language as uh, your product is changing, as you're adding new features and helping people reach more and more different types of desired outcomes. And is it easy to, to fix that after the fact? Like let's say once they realize that the customer don't, the potential customer don't really understand what they do. Uh, do, you, do you feel like it's an easy work or does it take a long time? And most, most of it, most of the time it, it kind of fails at the end because they haven't done it at first. So you can save your SaaS startup. I'm not sure if I would call it easy work, but it's very comprehensive work. There's a lot of customer development and customer success that needs to be put in place. And that is definitely time consuming. And that is how um, we get into this situation in the first place where they want to skip these initiatives and go straight into marketing. Because, 
you know, that's that's easier. It's the easier route to take. And, and when it comes to growth hacking, it's what they've heard over and over. And so it's, it's what they want to do. You know, I've, I've heard, you know, I get a thousand customers in a month. I'm just going to go for that tactic when they don't really look into the full strategy that went into how, how somebody got those thousand customers. Why is growth hacking so attractive to those founders? Well, it's everybody's dream story, right? It makes it look like there's these overnight successes when in reality, what's going on behind the scene at most startups is a lot of people don't know what they're actually doing and they're figuring it out as they're going along, but they don't write about all of that. They're going to write about the wins that they that they've gotten, and I mean sometimes people write about what isn't working, but it's usually after the fact when after their startup has failed completely, and you know they write a postmortem startup kind of piece on Medium or something like that um, that you that you know you'll see that that everything didn't work out quite right, but um, it just it looks attractive to to see these really what seem to be quick wins and suddenly lots of money and fame and, and all of that. Yeah, that's the human brain, uh, the basic human brain really trying to, to not use many resources in order to get to somewhere. Um, I, I found the same when I talk to, to marketers and, and, and it's the easy quick wins that people are looking for. But yeah, it doesn't happen, as you say. So in, in this episode, what I like to do with you right now is to go through this work of setting the foundations. Now, we won't have necessarily the time to go through every single aspect because you mentioned a lot of words that are very specific, a lot of activities that we literally could talk about for hours, customer success, customer development, language market fit, and so on. But I'd like to give an overview and a kind of a step-by-step -step methodology to our listeners so that they can take that away, maybe research that a little bit more, but at least have a, a guide, something that they can look after, uh, look at in the next few months or weeks. Are you okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's go. Let's say I have a SaaS business, which I had a few years ago. I mean, I only thought about it. I didn't really launch anything, but still, it still counts. Um, so I have this business and I'm only getting started I barely have an MVP, a first version of the product. What do you recommend for me to do next uh, to set the foundation of my marketing efforts? So I would start with customer development work. You really want to identify your ideal customer. Now, ideal customers are not the same thing as building out personas. Personas are more of a marketing effort. This is well before getting into marketing efforts. This will affect marketing, but you know, this is more of customer success, customer development kind of efforts. And your ideal customers are going to be people who are ready, willing, and able to work with you. And they're going to have what Lincoln Murphy refers to as success potential. And customers that have success potential are good fit customers. And this is the opposite of a bad fit customer that are never going to get value um, from you now or ever. So you want you want to identify these ideal customers, and it's good to start out with one. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you will necessarily only ever have just one, but when you're in this stage, you really want to get as focused as, as possible. And what happens here sometimes is that founders start feeling like, you know, they're having um, FOMO, um, fear of missing out, if they're not trying to appeal to everyone. But when you're trying to appeal to everyone, you don't know how to speak to them and they don't know that your product is for them. So you, you know, you, you don't know what to write on your site or how to communicate with them and your product or, or even who they are. So it, you know, it has to start with identifying who, who your ideal customer is. So it, it is incredibly counterintuitive for people, especially when, as you said, some of them are trying to to get fame or success overnight, they think that the more people they can reach, uh, the more likely they are to succeed. But as you said, exactly, the less people you're trying to reach, the more chance you have of success. Because as you said, the more they will feel that this product is exactly for them. So exactly. It's, uh, it's something that, um, I'm going to forget his name now, but one of the positioning experts, Philip Morgan, uh, talks about is that he has a good tip that I keep repeating to people is that if they, if there is a, a conference for it, then there is a, the market is big enough. So for example, did you know that there was a, there is a conference, I think in Florida as well, organized in Florida last, last year for organic soap makers, right? So there is actually people making soap and there's actually like more than 750 attendees in this conference, right? So you can start extremely, incredibly small and yet start to make money, right? And then expand. Right, exactly. And that's just an excellent point. And also when you're identifying a market, you've got to keep your total addressable market in the back of your mind as well because uh, you've got competitors and and all kinds of other variables that are at play uh, when you're identifying your ideal customer. Right. So let's 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 get into the the how to of identifying your ideal customer. So I have a business, I have an MVP, and I might have a few paying customers already. How do I pick the one I should talk to first? So there's different ways to do this. You are going to um, want to. What I've recommended, and I'm not sure if he still has it up, is going to Lincoln Murphy's ideal customer profile articles and downloading his spreadsheet and working through that. And basically what he has you do is work through who is ready, who is willing, and who is able. And once you've determined that, you determine who fits that profile and you start getting in contact with them to talk to them about your product. What if I don't have any customers that fit my ideal customer profile? Well, these are potential customers that potential we're talking customer. about. Potential customer, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you have them, you use the Lincoln, Lincoln Murphy's kind of resources. Um, we are going to link those in the show notes for sure so that uh, listeners can, can, can get them. And... Once you have them, let's say you are getting in touch with them, like, as you said at the start, the preferred way to do so would be face to face, right? Right. Which, you know, sometimes is really difficult. Uh, they might be across the country <laughs> or, you know, in, in a completely different, um, country totally. 
So should should a founder actually make the investment of going wherever this person is? It really depends. Sometimes you don't have the resources, so maybe jump on a video call if you can. But if you do have the resources, definitely, definitely meet with them in person. And how do you convince people to, to get on the phone with you or to meet with you face-to-face? That's a really good question. You would probably need to know them to some extent or or um, start getting to know them or have an introduction made from somebody else who knows them. Um, while I do say, you know, I wouldn't exactly start with friends and family, um, they might need to be somewhere in your network um, because it's going to be difficult to just get people who don't know you to take the time out of being super busy to look at your product. And some sometimes you can find people like this on communities like BetaList, um, SurveyMonkey, places like that, um, people who do want to be an early adopter and give that kind of feedback. One tip that I have for that is really to empower them and and basically tell them that they have the knowledge, they are the smart ones, we are kind of the dumb ones and we need to learn from them. So putting them in the yeah. in, in, in the situation where we want to learn from you, you're an expert in your field or you're an expert practitioner and I want to learn from you. Yeah, that's a great tip for sure. Right. So once we do these interviews, what resources would you recommend for to do customer development, development interviews? And what would be your, your favorite question to ask? What I really like to focus on is what is their desired outcome? Now, their desired outcome is going to exist outside of the product most of the time. So if you're talking about something like AdEspresso, which is a Facebook ads platform, your ideal customer, your ideal customer's desired outcome isn't to place an ad on that platform. It is to get customers from placing that ad. So you don't want to ask them which features to build, but you want to ask them what problems that they have that you can solve And you need to figure out what features to build to help them solve those problems to reach their desired outcomes. It's very similar to the jobs to be done methodology as well, for example, right? In some cases, I I think the jobs to be done methodology might be a little less customer centric than customer success, but I'm not entirely familiar with it to say for sure. Okay. Okay. That's a fair enough answer. Uh, it was kind of a, it's a tough question to answer. In fairness, um, <laughs> like the jobs to be done is 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 something you really need to get your head around. It's difficult to get your head around, but once you get it, I think it's uh, it really helps with your marketing. But it's it's quite similar because it talks about outcome. It never talks about as you said features. It always talks about right, benefits. Right. It's what you're trying to achieve. You probably saw. The listeners have probably seen this on social media or, or anything like this. This, you know, this little Mario eating the plants, and then he becomes this Mario with the fireballs. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the what the be- like people are not buying a product; they're buying a better version of your, of themselves. Yeah, exactly. Right. So we have we have this profile of of our ideal customer. 
And once again, it's a very specific profile, meaning that it's unlikely that millions of people fit this profile, correct? Right. Uh, ideally, you should have maybe, I don't know, it's difficult to say, but even if you have only, let's say, 2,000 or 5,000 people in the world that fit this profile exactly, then it's plenty to start with because you can always expand to your, as you mentioned before, to your addressable market that you have in mind, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you can add to your product and you can work on cross-selling and upselling. And, you know, once you do have those successful customers, they act as brand advocates for you. So there's a lot of opportunity there still, even if you start out with a small market. Right. So we have this this ideal customer. What's the next step? So, you know, you've talked to them to determine what their desired outcomes are. Before that, because we got a little bit ahead of ourselves, um, oh, you we? do, yeah, <laughs> you do want to determine what success potential they have with your product, and that is another initiative that um, Lincoln Murphy uh, started or champions. Um, and you can look up his article on success potential to find the different kinds of fits that an ideal customer needs to, to be successful with your product. And that's going to be technical fit, functional fit, resource fit, competence fit, experience fit, and cultural fit. And he goes into details in his article about that. And then you're going to work on um, determining the desired outcome of your customers. And after that, you're going to want to do customer development to work on your value proposition. Now, I, I recommend strategizers value proposition design book but there's lots of easier methods that are <laughs> less time consuming um conversion excel has a a nice uh worksheet you can download i think they're even in the first result for value proposition uh if you look it up on google but if you really want to get in depth definitely check out value proposition design and you can talk to your customers to help uh, them or potential customers to help help you work through that book so that you can understand which jobs they want to get done, what their pain points are, what gains they have um, as a result of using your product and um, what emotions that they have associated with your product um, so that you can learn what kind of value proposition you need to differentiate your product from any other product out there. So if you can take your value proposition and apply it to your competitors, then it's not a good value proposition. It needs to be as specific as possible and based on benefits. And the only way that you really understand the benefits of what you have to offer is if you talk to your customers or potential customers. What's the best value proposition you've ever come across? Oh, wow. So there's Slack's value proposition. I'll let you search for it because I know it's a tough question. Yeah. Or if you have it handy. Slack is where work happens. Surely that can be applied to HipChat. It can. So, you know, that's a, that's a tough, que like on the spot question that I would have to look more into that. <laughs> Good. Okay. 
I like to ask tough questions. It's not it's not easy to be on this podcast for me either. Trust me. <laughs> But if you if you can think of another one, let me know. Maybe you have work with a, a SaaS client. You don't have to name uh, the client if you don't want to. But uh, where you came up with a good value proposition, you can share that you remember. Oh yeah. So I worked with Vervo.com, and their value proposition right now is your online hiring assistant, and it's actually taken months to get to that value proposition. It's definitely changed over time. So that's just that's just to say that this like I was saying earlier, this is a process that does take time and and will be continually changing as you figure out what works better and better for communicating with your ideal customers. Right. So now you have a, a first solid kind of value proposition. Uh, after before that, we we have like our ideal customer profile. What will be the next step? So you're going to use that value proposition and create supporting language around it on your website, throughout any of your social media that you're creating, and any other um, pre-marketing kinds of initiatives. And you are going to then take that and. Now that you know that, you know, who your ideal customer is, what their desired outcome is, you need to determine what the success gaps are within your product. And that's going to be an effort that would be best done by product managers and customer success managers together. <laughs> and what I mean by success gaps is... Say we go back to the Ad Espresso example. You know, the the functional completion of placing a an ad in Ad Espresso doesn't necessarily make the customer successful with the product. It's whether or not they get customers from placing the ads. Well, they might get really frustrated with Ad Espresso because they just keep placing ads and it isn't quite working out. Well, that might be because they don't know how to write a really good ad. So you need to create content around how to place a good ad. Um, what kind of copy gets the best conversions for your kind of audience? You know, um, what are your audience's pain points and how do you communicate with them about your product? So that success gap is what stands between the ideal customer and them reaching the desired outcome. In that case, it's they don't know how to place a good ad. So then you write copy and you create webinars and you create videos and you know live Twitter chats or whatever it is that you want to do to communicate with your audience to educate them and fill that success gap so that they are able to move through your product within it and outside of it to reach their desired outcome. I hope that made sense. No, it does. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but your, basically, your product is not your product. Your product is only part of your product in a sense. Like content uh, around it is as important because, as you said, you need to fill the success gaps that your product might not fill on its own, right? Exactly. So when you look at something like HubSpot, which is really difficult to just learn overnight. Um, it can take a long time to learn that product. They've got all these academies and training programs that you can join to learn their product. And that's them 
working on their success gaps. Uh, but there's one thing that I'm thinking about right now is what if what if y your product doesn't fill the success gaps enough on their own? Um, like, would it be a weak product in a sense? Should, shouldn't your product fill the success gaps on their on its own? Not necessarily. Give me an example of a product that you think does that on its own. Let's say there is this this Gmail plugin called Boomerang and it enables you to schedule emails in advance and stuff, uh, but also enables you to write compelling emails, right? And there is they, they set up this, uh, this sort of uh, AI assistant. When you write an email, it basically tells you, well, uh, you are like 70% there, it should be a little bit more convincing, and then it gives you a score up to 100%. But they don't need... I mean, with this assistant, it seems like they don't need to write any blog post or, or guide on, or around how to write convincing emails because they, they have it inside the product. Does it make sense? That makes sense. And I could argue there that the assistant is what they're using to help fill that success gap. Yeah. So doing that can exist inside the product with product messages, like if you're using something like Intercom and outside of it in something like a blog or a webinar. All right. So we've been we've been going quite deep into the step by step. Uh, just out of uh, out of curiosity, what will be the next step once you have that, once you have those success gaps filled? That's when you can start so so basically what you're doing at that point is you've got hopefully some kind of content calendar going and your content calendar is broken down into customer success content, which is the kind of content that you're using to fill the success gaps and inbound marketing content. And um, what I like to say is inbound marketing isn't sufficient for SaaS startups uh, because it's all about awareness, consideration, and decision-making, whereas a SaaS startup is constantly about um, your customer renewing with you. So it needs to be, there needs to be this continuation of communicating with them. And that's where this customer success content comes in um, to help them use your, your product to uh, reach their desired outcomes. It's a, it's a, it's an inverted pyramid, right? So you would start like trying to acquire a lot of customers uh, that goes, the funnel, the funnel gets narrower, but then as soon as you get customers, the funnel gets bigger because they would, if you do your job well, they would use your product more and more. They would go to higher plan. They would buy more stuff. They would recommend you to people, right? Yeah, exactly. And inbound marketing doesn't address what happens after the sale. Yeah. Exactly. So this is why your inbound marketing efforts uh, and your customer success efforts should be almost equal. Um, and if you're doing a very good job at customer success and if your product is very remarkable on its own, it should really feed your inbound funnel in a sense. Exactly. Right. So we've talked about a lot of stuff and I have plenty of other questions to ask you that I'm quite curious about. So Thanks so much for, for taking part in this step-by-step -step kind of exercise. I know it's not easy to get into that level of details, but thank you for that. Um, we touched on a subject I love to talk about, which is growth hacking, uh, not because I love it, as you might have guessed. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's quite funny that you mentioned it as well. And it seems like 
either the guests of this podcast research a little bit and understand that I'm not a fan or I just interview people who agree with me, which is not good either. I kind of need to find people who don't agree. But outside of growth hacking, which I think is something that you would have answered if I hadn't mentioned it, why do you think marketers have a bad reputation in general? I think that some of it goes back to SEO. To be honest, I was in SEO for a long time and Whenever I would get potential customers, they would talk to me at length about how their last SEO engineer wasn't helpful to them or they felt like they lost a lot of money or um, they used a lot of tactics that really didn't work for them. And I really feel like that the SEO movement with and you know it's not the movement itself it's the way that people did things within the movement um with black hat tactics and things like that that kind of gave it a bad rep for a while it's it's definitely a lot better now but for a while it was pretty bad What's the worst thing that you've done as a black hat SEO? I know you're you're not a black hat SEO necessarily, but let's say what's the worst thing you've done as an SEO practitioner? What was the worst thing I did? I think I one thing I definitely wouldn't do now is I created all kinds of separate landing pages for different locations to try to appeal to um, local SEO and getting those local keywords on the page when really if you are going to be focused on user experience and and being customer first, you would just put everything on one page. It just makes way more sense. I see. I was expecting something a little more juicy, but <laughs> it's okay. Right. I'm interested in knowing... Obviously, you're your SaaS marketing expert, customer success, and all of that. When are you gonna going to launch your own SaaS? So, I am actually have imposter syndrome around that, yeah, and I'm not sure. I might do something with Trevor Hatfield eventually, who has been my business partner for over ten years now, and he's involved with all kinds of product building at the moment. So I'm, I might eventually work with him on something, uh, maybe in a year or two. Um, do I know what that's about? I have some ideas. Uh, it would be probably around customer success, but yeah, I haven't felt I haven't felt like I know enough still to to do that, which might sound crazy, but that's where I'm at with it. Listen, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think <laughs> most people have imposter syndrome to some degree. I do have have it as well, quite a lot. Um, so it was just a, a curious question uh, more than anything else. But you are good enough. Uh, you are smart enough. You know your stuff. Um, I'm pretty sure it will be a success if you launch something around around this area. Um, so you have my permission at least. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> And, well, our, I, you know, and the listeners as well. I, I told you I'm working on a book. So I think that's going to be my first test at a quote unquote product. Um, I have a, you know, a very strategic way that I'm going to approach it that I think is going to make it pretty successful. 
Let me guess. You're going to do a little bit like, you know, Laura Roder from Meet Edgar, the social right. media scheduling tool. And she, she started by selling courses, right? And she, she did that for 10 years or something. She started by selling social media courses and then she built an audience around that. And then she was ready to, to launch a big SaaS business that reached, I think, 100,000 monthly recurring revenue within a few weeks because she had so many people eager. I can sense that it's going to be something on those lines, right? Well, I have a kind of similar background in that I have been on the teams for Growth Hacker TV, growthhackers.com, Product Hunt, Inbound.org, and SaaS community and, and other communities, and have been extremely active and help um, have contributed to and helped their success. So I've gotten to know a lot of people and um, build kind of a, you know, quote unquote, network effect through doing that. You know, you don't have to quote unquote, you, 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 you really did. It's amazing because I don't remember when was the first time I heard from you uh, or heard of you, but it's been a few years. But since then, you know, this effect where when you see somebody somewhere, you see, you see this person everywhere. That was what happened. I saw, I started to saw you everywhere, to see you everywhere on every single marketing blog I was reading. You were there on every communities. You were there. Now you did a fantastic job and you mentioned all of those places. I wanted to mention them as well. So just to, to talk to you, to talk about you a little bit, because I haven't done so at the start, you are a SaaS consultant, customer success evangelist. As you said, we have people can see you on the HubSpot, the Next Web, Forbes, Moz, Product Hunt, Mattermark, Commercial Excel, Copy Hackers, Canva. Uh, you are a moderator of many communities like Product Hunt, uh, Growth Hackers, Inbound. I mean, not necessarily moderator now, but you used to be at least. You also have your own Slack channel uh, or group. And I've heard that there are some channels uh, I'm not allowed to get in. So that frustrates <laughs> me. Um, so you're doing a lot of stuff. And you're also part of the Shine crew with Jonah Weeb, Tiffany Da Silva, Talia Wolf, uh, whom I interviewed on this podcast, Claire Sullentrop, whom I interviewed on this podcast as well. Her episode will be live before yours. So you've done a lot and you're definitely doing something right. Um, I, I have a question that is quite personal, so you don't have to, to answer it if you don't want to, but I do ask, uh, ask it to some, to some guests. If you have to pick an event that made you who you are today, what would it be? I was sitting in front of a computer or I was, I was working with computers as soon as I could sit at one. Thanks to my uncle, he was always very encouraging for me to be doing ki any kind of thing on a computer, a video game, um, you know, drawing. And I, I guess just I was in a very technological, um, savvy and friendly household. That's good. Yeah. And do you remember... Is there any particular like software or, or, or experience on this computer that you remember vividly? So what happened is I had the internet in the mid nineties, I want to say. And I saw that, you know, I was, I was in forums back then and I saw that other people had a website and I was like, well, why don't I have that? You know, how, how do I do that? So my uncle showed me how to look at the source code to see what, what HTML was being used to create the pages that I was looking at. 
So I just started reading source code to determine, you know, you know, how are these pages created? And I bought my own domain name and um, started, I, I taught myself how to do HTML and I started working for local internet companies to build, you know, business websites, you know, for local businesses. And um, it just kind of went from there. Um, I was just always really excited about how do I drive more and more traffic and get the right people um, to these business websites? And, you know, how do I meet awesome people through my site? It, it's funny how many people who may ask the question, this question answered around something similar you know they started on their own they were curious about websites or something around the internet and then they started to to research on their own and and launch a few side projects and so it's interesting to see the pattern emerging that you don't have to be you don't have to do huge like you know master degree or go to to college to learn all of that stuff if if you do have to go to college if you want to, but you can also learn on the side and do a few things like, you, like you've been doing. So that's quite interesting. Uh, right. So I have a few questions to ask you, two or three questions before we can uh, close this, this very interesting interview. Um, I know that you know a lot of the subject, so I really want to ask you this question. And you can take your time to, to find the, the people that you want to mention. But what marketers would you recommend uh, everybody to follow, like listeners to follow, that are from underrepresented minorities? So, Shayla Price. Do you know that I've interviewed her as well? No. <laughs> yeah, she's going to really be on the podcast. To. Okay. So, Shayla Price is a con content marketing uh, consultant. Yeah, and... I'm not sure how exactly to say her name. Um, Creatrix Tiara. Let's see. How do you spell it? C-R-E-A-T-R-I-X. Okay, Creatrix, yeah. That sounds about right. What does she do? She's a writer, um, performer, producer, researcher. She's an artist. She does all kinds of different things. I actually have a Women in Tech Spotlight um, series that I used to do and I featured her on that on my site so you have you, you you've there is this woman in tech that we can still find on your blog right yes and there will be a lot of people there that people can follow and all in the marketing yeah. space and uh, Tiffany Mickle or Michael I'm not sure how you say her last name and I m-i-k-e-l-l mm-hmm She's also in my Women in Tech Spotlight. At the time, she helped with trans communities in tech. I'm not sure what she does now. So that's interesting. I think listeners can definitely check out your Women in Tech series and, and, and try to find people who, who are not this typical white male 40-year-old marketer. I know because I'm, I'm not 40, but I know that I'm very lucky to, be, to have been born in where I was born and to have had the education I had and... and and I know that it's not easy for everybody to to have this to have this chance. So I think it's always good to to think about that and try to to follow people who don't necessarily have the same background, right? Yeah, and another one would be Arcana Madhaven. She is at in Tirana. Mm -hmm. She is fantastic. I love everything that she writes. I definitely recommend checking out the in Tirana blog. How do you spell it? I-N-T-E-R-A-N-A. 
Okay. So once again, we, we will add all of those people in the show notes. So you don't necessarily have to, to Google everything. So thanks for the recommendations. Uh, that's really nice. The last question I wanted to ask you is a question I usually ask every guest at the end. So for marketers who want to become better marketers, particularly in the SaaS world, or even for founders in the SaaS world, what are the top three resources you would recommend to them? It could be books, it could be podcasts, it could be conferences, anything. 16ventures.com. Okay. What is that? It is Lincoln Murphy's blog on customer success. Mm-hmm. And depending on if you're into conversion optimization, obviously conversion Excel and get uplift from Talia Wolf. And if you are in into writing copy, copyhackers.com. And the last one I would add is uh, so your website, uh, nicoleelizabethdemaray.com, right? Yes. Um, and people can find many, many, many articles around SaaS and marketing that are really interesting. And you answer a lot of questions on Quora that you post there. Uh, there's plenty of places for you to uh, uh, to be followed. So apart from your website, uh, where else can people connect with you and learn more from you? So, you know, I'm in all the usual places, LinkedIn, Twitter, and ProductHuntGrowthHackers.com, Inbound.org, SaaS.Community. Um, I've got my own Slack, which if you want to email me, anybody listening can um, get an invite. And that's Nikki.Elizabeth at gmail.com. We will add that as well in the show notes. Right, Nicole, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I've learned a lot. Thank you. All right, I'll talk to you soon. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet, and we always uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir.
And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content is coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.